Lights, camera, action. When a script is written that is so bad, no one will film it. These brave podcasters will bring it to life just so they can mock it. This is Table Reads. So the movie's a good part, which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. Table Reads with Sean McBee, Jeff Lewis, and Joshua Baker. Hey, welcome back to Table Reads. I haven't just been sneezing Corona sneezes for the last 10 minutes. He doesn't have Corona. That's not a thing. He has cancer from Blue Dick. Blue Blue Dick Dick cancer. cancer. (laughs) Blam dee dam die. (laughs) Oh, man. So uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. But first, um, we just want to say we hope everyone's doing all right through this weird Corona crisis bullshit that the world is living through. You know, I got to say, guys, I literally never thought I would live through something like this. And this is coming from someone who has spent hours at a time planning for like a zombie apocalypse. Did you really? Oh, yeah. When you're working in a projection booth, you have nothing but time to plan for the zombie apocalypse. I mean, I, I I got I went and bought bullets the other day. I went to Academy Sports and I I bought them online because I couldn't find them anywhere else. And they actually brought them out of the store and delivered them to my car. Drive-through bullets. Wow! I would I would buy some bullets, except I do not own a gun. Oh, so it'd I be kind of a waste. We could throw them at people. <laughs> I'm going to feed it to him. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's find out where we've been as we continue on. Watch. Yeah. Previously on Table Reads. The Watchmen, which is the name of a group of vigilantes because Sam Hamm thought people wouldn't get it otherwise, have been disbanded because they fucked up and exploded the Statue of Liberty. Now, several years later, one of them turns up dead and Rorschach assumes that this means someone is out to kill all of them, because his superpower is apparently extrapolation from a sample set of one. Like a game of vigilante telephone, he tells Night Owl, who tells Ozymandias, who tells Silk Spectre and Dr. Manhattan, who already knew because he's basically a blue-tainted godman, who can have a threesome with his girlfriend without even needing to call that one friend who drops weird comments every time he gets drunk. Meanwhile, Rorschach is tearing up bars trying to find any random thug who knows who murdered the comedian, and oh yeah, basically everyone Dr. Manhattan has ever met has a unique form of cancer, including Lori. When a reporter calls him out on it on live television, he zaps the audience out of the studio, and when we left off, Dr. Manhattan apparently realized zapping himself out of the studio would have been a lot easier, so that's what he did. Fade in. Man, I thought you guys were going to respond to that uh, that bit about not needing to call his friend who makes the weird comments every time he gets drunk. I thought that was good, but I guess Almost not. Almost shot. What? On the Skype video? He gone. You're gone. I'm gone? I got both of you. 
He went to Mars. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I can hear you. I can see him. Can you? Well, you don't need to see me, Jeff. You know what I look like. Uh, it's oh, the wow. same yeah, thing you see. It. <laughs> Sean's gone. Close your eyes. <laughs> can you see the? Can you see the? Uh, the chat pics. I saw something come up, but I missed it. No, Sean. Because I can't see you guys at all because you're on the monitor behind me. Because, you know, professionalism. The next time that we show up at the studio, there's going to be a second monitor right in front of his face. (laughs) (laughs) So so I can see you when you're not here. I'm going to pull my iMac right here so I have to peek around it to see you. All right. Um, I did fade in, right? Yeah, let's do this. Yeah. Interior, research center, living quarters, night. The place has been pretty well torn apart. Major Adamson is overseeing a crew of technicians in white suits as they post quarantine notices at the entrance. Jesus Christ, can we not escape a quarantine? (sighs) No. Okay, I got to stop for a second because uh, I've gotten a little behind on my Pixar movies, so I decided the other day... It's quarantine. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to relax. I'm going to watch the three Pixar movies I haven't seen. The Pixar movies in order were uh, Finding Dory, which involves, no joke, Dory trying to get to an area called quarantine. True. Uh, And then there was Toy Story 4, which um, was... Had uh had Bo Peep being like some sort of like post-apocalyptic badass woman, you know, like what we're gonna be living through three weeks from now. And then yeah, uh, the, the truck stopped working. What? I oh, said so when the truck stopped working. Oh, I just the J- Jeff Jeff just disappeared. Jeff did oh, wait, disappear. Oh, he's back. He Good. came back. He's back. Wait till you guys see how weird that looked on the video for our YouTube viewers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. If you ain't got dialogue, you're not in the video. Because <laughs> I've got you guys in one window, and I have two instances of that window to put you each in individual uh, windows on the stream. And so when Jeff dropped out, Josh filled the whole window. So <laughs> half Josh's face was in one of the boxes, and the other half was in the other. And it was real weird. Just real I'm, weird. I can't I'm wait now, until you guys I'm, see it. I'm now directing this podcast. <laughs> I will More. be hitting all the zooms. <laughs> but basically, all the shit that I watched, um, including Pixar shit, in a day to try to take my mind off all this quarantine stuff was just straight reminders of this whole quarantine stuff. It was weird. And now here we are. And Dr. Manhattan's living area is being quarantined. What? We just can't get away from it. Yeah, you really can't. Everywhere. He's not altogether surprised when Dr. Manhattan rematerializes at his his side. Where's Lori? Adamson backs off slightly. He's not wearing a radiation suit. And he's understandably reluctant to get any closer than absolutely necessary. She's been relocated, John. It's strictly precautionary. There's no need to lie. I assume she's been tested. Were the results positive? Adamson hesitates for the briefest of seconds. 
Don't bother. I already know what you'll say. He watches impassively as what's left of his home is dismantled. His mind is already a million miles away. John, I know this is presumptuous, but if you wanted to, could you cure her? I don't know. I only know that I won't. There'd be no point. It's finally begun. Begun? What's begun? I've seen this day. It's the day I've been dreading all these years. You see, Major Adamson, Lori Trepeshnik was the only human being I cared for. Adamson doesn't know what he's talking about, but a chill runs down his spine nonetheless. My work here is finished. God be with you, Major. And with that, he vanishes. His his double-breasted suit he leaves behind. It hangs in midair for a moment, then crumples into a pile at the Major's feet. Good lord. Cut to exterior, outer space. And it's about as exterior as you can get. We're a few hundred miles above the Earth. The curvature of the globe is readily apparent from this height. You hear me, B.O.B.? And the surface looks placid and eerily beautiful. Oceans and continent over, continents overlaid by a pattern of shifting white clouds. From frame right, a blue figure swings into view, eclipsing our planetary vista and disappearing again off frame left. It's Dr. Manhattan. He's in a lotus position, sitting on nothingness, calmly scanning the globe from his original vantage, from his orbital vantage. Stars twinkle behind him as he looks down on the planet he's about to leave. His normally inscrutable features tinged with regret. Exterior, Arizona desert, night. Black sky hangs over an empty stretch of desert, so desolate, so barren and otherworldly, that it could pass for Mars. Could, that is, until we see the residue of man's presence on the landscape. Ruined Quonset huts, roofless, long since abandoned to the elements, half buried in drifts of sand. Military vehicles, little more than husks now, rusty and gutted, and a sign dangling awkwardly from a rotted upright. Gila Flats test base. Uh, you guys okay? I'm hearing a bunch of noises. That's Jeff moving around. It's me. Jeff, stop, yeah. stop moving. Be a statue. I can't help it. <laughs> There's things <laughs> happening at my feet. Is it a kitten? Yeah. A gecko skitters across the sand and pauses. Above it, a sudden rupture appears in the night sky, bathing the sands in blinding blue light. The gecko runs wildly as Dr. Manhattan steps through the rift in the sky and descends gently to the earth. The rupture heals itself, and the desert is dark and peaceful once more as Dr. Manhattan trudges through the sands toward the ghost town of Gila Flats. He wanders through the ravaged doorway of what was once a canteen. Tables are overturned, bottles broken, but the long mahogany bar, though pitted and scarred, stands intact. A desert rat scurries down its length as Dr. Manhattan looks on. We move in on his emotionless glowing eyes and dissolve to interior, canteen, flashback, day. 
It's 20 odd years ago and we're looking at Dr. Jonathan Osterman, a big boyish clean cut guy of 26, dressed in a necktie and a white lab coat. He's at a table sipping a mug of beer, wearing a dopey smile as he gazes out of frame at his lunch companion, Janie Slater. 19 million for the intrinsic... F oh wait, that's her talking, sorry. See, it's fucking hard. It's fucking hard. Later. Yeah, I've already had sex with Sean on this <laughs> script. You do it. <laughs> I'm next. 19 million for the intrinsic field disruptor. You think they could at least make us a decent hamburger? John laughs, looks sheepishly down at his hands. He's utterly smitten with Dr. Janie Slater, his colleague at the test base. She's a couple of years older than he, and pretty in a heavily quaffed way, just close enough to Lori that you'd notice the resemblance. And she's probably the only one in the room who can't see just how bad a crush John has on her. I'll say, if we ever get off this Looney Tune project, I'm going to head straight for civilization and buy me a big thick steak. With lots of ketchup. Smiling, she indicates John's plate. He's emptied at least half a bottle on his french fries. Nothing wrong with ketchup. John Osterman, you don't act like a Princeton boy. What's a big lug like you doing in a place like this? Anything for science, I guess. Uh, Janie, there's something... We should get back. What? Okay, she, she was supposed to cut him <laughs> off, but the script was not clear on that. So we're just going to move on. <laughs> Moving on. Nothing. Uh, what were you going to say? We should get back to the lab. <laughs> you okay, John? <laughs> he stares at his hands, afraid to meet her eyes. After a moment, he pipes up. Oh, yeah. You go ahead. I'll be right behind you. The lad seems a little screwy today. Jenny shrugs, gets up and heads for the door. John takes a moment to collect himself, then looks after Janie. She's paused in the doorway to unbuckle her wristwatch. His face goes a little pale. He screws up his courage, rushes up behind her. That's the dialogue. Yeah. Stupid watch. Stopped again. Do you have the... Janie, will you marry me? Ooh. She turns and looks him squarely in the face. He's wearing the pained expression of a convicted murderer waiting to hear the verdict. John, what? John swallows hard, and the two of them stare at each other, eyes locked. For a moment, it's as if they're the only souls in the canteen. But just then, two scientists come bustling through the door, clipboards in hand, deep in a conversation of their own. And one of them, Dr. Wally Weaver, walks smack into the startled Janie, causing her to drop her wristwatch. There's a loud crunch. John and Janie snap out of their private trance as Wally bends to retrieve the watch. Oh, <clears throat> Christ, Janie, I, I think I stepped on your watch. Oh, Wally, don't feel bad. It was cheap. It never worked anyway. I can fix it. What? My dad's a watchmaker. I'll put it back together for you. Better than ever. He holds out his hand. Their eyes meet for a long moment. Take him up on it. It'd make him feel better. Chuckling, <laughs> Wally and his colleagues head off to find a table. Janie hands John the watch. His hands close around her, and he gazes at her with basset hound eyes. Oh, 
that's fucking dumb. She realizes he's still waiting for his answer. But before she can speak, John produces a small box from his pocket. He thrusts it abruptly into Janie's hand. Here, I'll trade you, and hustles off. She opens the box, finds an engagement ring. He tricked her. Ha ha! (laughs) Now we have to get married. (laughs) Give me your broken watch, you dumb bitch. (laughs) It was iffy for a second there, but we made that trade, and that's like signing a contract. That's basically it. You're my wife. (laughs) You get to see my blue dick. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to fuck cancer straight into you. I can't wait to have sex with you with my perfectly normal colored penis. <laughs> Not it's even gonna, with three people. It's gonna be the it's gonna be the same color as it always is. Purple. <laughs> oh good old regular colored dick. <clears throat> Nothing but a good regular colored dickin'. I can't see Sean, so I don't know when enough's enough. <laughs> it's he's never enough. Deadpan. He's like, he's like, he's like, because <laughs> he's got the light on above him, so it kind of, right. it kind of gives him like this shadowy look. I keep thinking he's gonna bust out his like, he's gonna be like, stop it, Watchmanses, <laughs> drinking milk. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> She gives her the ring. <laughs> we wants the, the engagement ring. Dude, this is this is honestly the like. It's, so it's not shitty. Like it's not like poorly written or whatever. Like as far as subject matter, it's just the most boring way to tell this fucking story. Yeah, they found the they found the worst way to tell it. Yep. Like nothing. One could argue that that is. Connect. Shitty writing. Well, I mean, yeah, but uh, we've read really fucking it's, bad scripts on here. This is passable. It's like, technically yeah. proficient, right? But it, it would have been a movie. Bad like. adaptation. Yeah, it's just Remember, the most boring way to tell this fucking story. This is the guy that wrote a Batman movie in which Batman shows no evidence of having trained for a life of crime fighting in any way. He does no special like martial arts. He does no crime solving. He just shows up in a rubber suit with gadgets. Nice. <laughs> and it took me 30 years to realize that. <laughs> it's just, I, I use grenades. It's like every Saturday night, man. It literally yeah. wasn't until I saw it for the 30th anniversary um, in theater reissue that I realized, holy shit, this Batman didn't train anywhere he just no, no, got no. a bunch of gadgets and was like all right i'm gonna try this yeah he, no he was just a he was a fucking wise guy that fucking shot his shot it worked it just worked and he ended up fucking a lady who thought she was a cat he's <laughs> 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 like i love her <laughs> and we're gonna quote each other but like in reverse and that yeah one. And then, and then she's gonna make out with a guy with a taser in her mouth, and she'll die. <laughs> you need to help really. us fight. You need to help us fight the penguin. Nah, what about what about this corporate businessman, Max Shrek? I'll take him. <laughs> I'll take him on. Never mind that he's named after the guy that played Nosferatu. 
Fucking Tim Burton. Peak Tim Burton. Anyway. Where the fuck were we? Uh, oh yeah. On this big ass block of Mary. With a little smile, she tries it on and turns to show John. But he's already gone. You know, like a coward. Damn. She stares at the ring. Her smile broadens. Interior, laboratory, day. John's at a lab table, papers stacked all around him. In the center of the table is a piece of black velvet strewn with jeweler's tools. It's his lunch hour, and he's fixing fixing Janie's watch with the black velvet and jewelry tools that he just carries around with him on the military base all the time. Like yeah, he hasn't mentioned that his dad was the clockmaker or anything. He did. It did he, he did? When he offered yeah, to fix it. He said, my dad was a watchmaker. Oh, that's all I needed. Thank you. Yeah. Please, <laughs> please don't show me anything else. Because, tell me. as you know, we can all do the things that our parents could do. Yeah, it's in my blood. My dad decided to tinker. I became oh, yeah. a tinkerer. I mean, in the story, they're like, no, don't. Like, the dad was like, fuck that. Don't be a watchmaker. That's dumb. Like, Well, they were talking about, like, you know, his dad was a clockmaker or a clock repair man until Einstein's theory of relativity came out and then he abandoned that. There was a whole cool sub story about his dad like not taking up that trade anymore. Like it being a dying fucking trade. Yeah. Man, I really gotta reread Watchmen. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole bit. Like this this shit's the most yeah. least fleshed out Cliff Notes version of the story you could possibly imagine. I, I, I went and got a copy and I don't remember reading half of this fucking thing. Oh, wow. Like, I, I read it yearly, so I at least know that. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember like 80% of it when you guys, when we first started this first episode, and sure. you're like, you guys are like making all these jokes, and I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm in over my head. Like, <laughs> right. I need to reread that shit. Like, I'm like, uh huh, uh huh, I know what you're talking about. No, no, I didn't know a goddamn thing. Jeff, like, I didn't what? know that you read this annually. Like, that, yep. that's a whole new spin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this he, is, uh, he reads it and he gets more out of it every year. He always like he's like, man, Rorschach, and I'm like, who? <laughs> yeah, dude. There was like two years where I was just absolutely stuck on every page when he was on the moon. Mm. Like I was talking about that or on Mars. Like it, it's just I find something new in it every year to kind of fixate myself until the next year. But I, I this is this uh, my parent. Just a backstory, real quick. My parents bought me this book because it was a comic book when I was a kid. And they said, oh, look, he likes the funny books. Let's get him this. They got it at some flea market. And I took it home, and it absolutely was not appropriate for the age that I was at. But I was like, oh, shit. Well, yeah, so it actually it's taught got, me the it's got a big blue guy hanging brain through the whole fucking thing. Yep. Bro, they did not flip through that shit. It's a comic book, and it had a smiley face on the front. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> it. Like, yeah. this, is, this is for him. This will keep him busy and shut up for a while. And it did, because I had to learn how learn what the fucking words meant throughout this book. But yeah, it's been seminal. Wow, that's that's great. So uh, you can help fill in all this shit. But of course, this is a, a watered down Cliff's Notes version because the description that fucking Alan Moore wrote for panel one is three thousand a three thousand word essay, basically in all caps. Like it's right. so fucking dense. There's no way. Like, I really just want to see, like, physical printouts of his scripts for the comics because it's got to be, like, a room, right? 
just data, just zeros and ones that that if you plugged it in, if you scanned it, it would come into like a photo. But it's just zeros and ones that come from his fucking brain. That guy's insane, and I love him. That's a lot of time. That's so much time. I wonder if this script was like the first thing where he was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't let people do this. It, it'd have to be like, I, I can't imagine him spending as much time as he did per frame. And then they give him this. No wonder he fucking hated it. He's like, yeah, none of this makes sense. Like at, at this point in the story, we've had Edward Blake die and then Vite went and told somebody and they're like, no. And then his wife left or like Dr. Manhattan's wife left Laura to go have dinner with Daniel for no reason. There was no, there was no prelude to that whatsoever. They didn't have the sex. He's not, he's not, there was none of the erection problems. Like none of that shit that's essential to those characters happened. It's just line, 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 beat, 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 go. Like, I don't know. But he did add in the blowing up the Statue of Liberty scene. First thing. So that's my favorite part of the book. <laughs> so when when Alan Moore, it, it, it was helpful, actually, because that way, when Alan Moore got the script, he didn't have to go past the first page before throwing it away. Yeah. So he didn't actually have to read anything of his work being brutalized. Yeah. Well, yeah. What if he didn't finish it? What if he like read the first page? It's like interior statue of liberty and he like takes back he's like yeah you sent me the wrong script what the fuck is this <laughs> but you remember this was back when he was like actually hopeful about this shit he's like oh yeah you know sam ham's doing it he's a great writer i have uh as much hope as i could possibly have and now he's like fuck you why are you asking me about this go to hell and die i'm not gonna watch it i don't want to know that it exists i I saw um, uh, a Miracle Man comic. Okay. Uh, at a bookstore recently, and because Alan Moore has insisted that the big publishers take his name off of everything, it just says written by the original author. Oh no shit! It doesn't say Alan Moore on it anywhere. The, the Alan, whatever, man. He's such an ass. <laughs> Like he's such an I, he's asshole. A fucking he makes baby. You, he makes you feel bad about liking his shit. Like he's like, oh, oh, you like that? Well, you're dumb as fuck. Like, like and that it's, was it's Miracle Man. Trash. It's something he created. They're not like doing shit to it. You know, the only other person that's really written Miracle Man is Neil Gaiman, who is his friend. He's like Neil Gaiman's mentor. So it's, who wrote the really old serials for Miracle Man? Because if I'm not mistaken, Alan Moore just kind of came in for Miracle Man the same way he did Swamp Thing, which was to make it better. Yeah, like he, he th- there was the old shitty Miracle uh, Miracle Man like funny business, like with the whole Komoda and shit like that. Wait, was and then that he came real? In or fixed it. my my recollection was that that was like um a creation of the comic. It it was, but it was it was using the originals as the dream, if you remember the, the or the simulation that they were in. Yeah, but I thought like I thought he was referencing things that didn't exist because it was all sort of based on Captain Marvel, the Shazam Captain Marvel. Right? Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I thought that's what I remembered. I'm gonna have but, to look that up. 
Um, because I'm curious. Either about way, that he now. did the same. He did the same thing with Swamp Thing. He he took Swamp Thing, and his run of Swamp Thing is like the run of Swamp Thing. Like it, that is that is what my version of that shit is. And so he just kept taking other people's ideas and making them better. You got to be a dick about it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one thing to take your name off an adaptation of something that you created, but to take your name off something you actually wrote. Yeah, right. and it's because they and don't want that. He doesn't want them capitalizing on his name, but that's like you can't do a compilation of like here's all the best Alan Moore Batman stories or something, you know. Uh, but when it's something like Miracle Man, like don't make them take your name off that shit. Just like, be, be a grown up. They can. Ad- he was so. They could have made this movie that we're reading right now, and you know what? People could still fucking read Watchmen. It doesn't make Watchmen any different. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. And that's that's Neil Gaiman's take on it. Uh, not this specifically, because I don't think he would like call out his buddy like that. But that's how Neil Gaiman feels about his own work is I don't care like if they f- make a movie that isn't what I envisioned, then that's just a bad movie. My book is still there. You can fucking read it and it's still exactly how I wrote it. Yeah, they didn't release the movie and send the people into the house to like burn all the fucking books. So like, nope, this is the only piece of this media you get now and take it off the fucking shelf. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't get to go backwards on that. Right. Yeah. I mean, even George Lucas couldn't stop people from still having the original Star Wars trilogies. Right. I bet he would want to, though. Yeah, fuck that guy. We're moving on. <laughs> Um, he tightens tightens the central screw which holds the hands in place then fits the crystal into its housing and gives it a light tap with a big childlike grin of satisfaction the boy's in love remember he gets up oh fuck you he gets up and starts for the door the lab is jammed with oversized arcane machinery the centerpiece is a concrete test chamber with two foot thick metal walls Mounted on either side of it are particle cannons, great bulky devices which look like anti-aircraft guns encircled by huge plexiglass coils. He stops, spots his lab coat hanging on a peg in the corner, and walks over to grab it. As he's putting it on, he hears a tiny squeak from the direction of the test chamber. Mounted above the chamber is a digital clock. Oh, a digital clock. Those sons of bitches, how dare they? Put us out of a job with their electronic LEDs. Hours, minutes, seconds, tenths of seconds. Just now, it's 13 colon 58 and change. John eyes the clock, hesitates briefly, then grabs a broom and steps to the reinforced steel door of the chamber. Inside, the chamber is empty but for a concrete block mounted on a low platform. And a mouse, which scurries into the corner when it hears John coming. He steps inside sees Janie's watch on the concrete block and swings the broom at the mouse. Come on, little guy, out of here! The mouse legs it out the door. John follows, smiling, broom in hand. Don't want to screw up a million-dollar experiment. He stops, (laughs) feels around in his pocket, realizes he's left the watch inside. He looks at the overhead clock again, 1359.30, and counting. 
Agitated now, he races back across the chamber, pauses in the doorway, spots the watch resting where he left it on the far side of the concrete block. He dashes inside, circles around the concrete block, reaches for the watch, and freezes at the sound of three warning beeps behind him. Uh, White-faced, he snatches at the watch and ducks around the concrete block too quickly. He nicks his shin on the projecting edge of the support. This is taking way too long. Right? He nicks his shin on the projecting edge of the support support platform and tumbles to the floor of the chamber. Before his eyes, a massive steel door is sliding into place, trapping him inside. He lurches toward the door, gets a hand through. The door keeps sliding. He jerks his hand back a half second before the door slams shut. Interior, lab, entry, that moment. 1,300 hours sharp. A half dozen scientists stroll into the lab. One of them is passing out goggles to his colleagues and a pair of military bigwigs who are obviously on the walking tour of the facility. Actually, we don't know what happens when you disrupt the intrinsic field. All we've managed to do so far is blow a few concrete blocks out of hell. No danger of fallout, is there? No, sir. The chamber's radiation proof once it's sealed. That's why we waited outside. The tra- <laughs> That's why we waited outside. You smug little <laughs> shit. <laughs> the translucent coils on the particle cannons have begun to glow a dull red. The crowd draws closer, goggles in place. There's a dim, distant thumping. The scientists look at the chamber and go slack-jawed in perfect unison. Dialogue. What's, what's the matter? Wait a minute, huh? Sweet Jesus! We dolly in rapidly on the observation panel mounted in the wall of the test chamber. Leaded glass, two feet thick. Behind it is the terrified face of John Osterman, pounding frantically on the glass, screaming soundlessly. Pandemonium in the lab as the scientists rush right and left, punching buttons, twisting knobs, to no avail. The general comes to a belated and painfully obvious realization. Say, there's a man in there! The coils on the cannons have gone from red to bright yellow. One scientist stands at the observation window and shouts, Stay calm, John! We'll try and kill the power! While another barks furiously into a wall phone. Building six! Kill the power! Osterman's trapped in the IF chamber! The general stands there looking rather nonplussed. Well, why doesn't someone let him out? It's a time clock. It can't be open once the sequence starts. What's the word? They're sending a crew to the generator building. 20 seconds. In a glass box on the wall is a fire axe with the instructions, in case of fire, break glass. Wally Weaver, John's friend from canteen, from the canteen, wraps his lab coat around his forearm, punches through the glass and grabs the axe. Wally, what are you doing? The power cables. And now another figure enters the lab, the unsuspecting Janie Slater. Am I late for the... She stops in mid-sentence at the sight of the frenzied action in the lab. 
Scientist 3 spots her, grabs her, tries to, tries to push her back through the door. Janie, get out of here! Get out! But she resists. She's just spotted Wally with his axe, poised to take a swing at a thick black cable on the floor. The cannon coils have just gone from yellow to a brilliant luminous white. What in the name of... Where's John? Janie, please, go! Wally strikes at the cable. Nothing. He takes another whack, and a sudden jolt of current knocks him off his feet and throws him into a wall. Sparks fly, but the process continues. The room is full of white light. Janie, fighting her way past the scientist, gets a good look at the observation panel. And the blood drains from her face. John. Interior test chamber. That moment. John backs away from the glass panel, a look of disbelief on his face. He blinks. His hands fall limply to his sides. The watch which he's been holding all along falls on the floor and shatters. And everything in the room goes blue. Table Reads will return after this brief word from our sponsors. What's up, docs and docettes? Trevor Thompson, the self-appointed Looney Tunes critic here, and if you like old cartoons and watching online reviewers dissect them, then you probably said the same thing I did about two years ago. Hey, what the fuck? Bear, watch your language, you bud. Every Saturday morning, I do a brand new commentary of a Warner Brothers short. All throughout the month, I do video essays examining the history of these cartoons. Catch my videos on youtube.com slash ferriswheelhouse2, or just use the hashtag LooneyTunesCritic. And now, here's Eric Bauza, the new voice of Bugs Bunny. You've been listening to the Looney Tunes Critic. Ain't he a stinker? Lights, camera, action. So the movie's kaput, which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. Now, back to Table Reads. So, that doctor got Manhattaned. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it was that was the uh, that was the best way that they could possibly have told that scene to happen. Definitely not shifting through time. The whole, you know, she hands me a cold, perspiring glass. I'm in the field. I, I forget my coat. Now I'm back and I'm playing skee ball. Like none of that shit was interesting. And it was already written. They're just like. And a scientist goes in, and he gets trapped, and then yeah. okay. bad what, shit happens. What if instead of all the weird timey stuff, <laughs> he, like, stubs his toe? That's a lot of cuts. I think maybe we should just have it happen. <laughs> not not tell, it a, tell about an incident in a very interesting visual way. <laughs> like, it's just, it just happens. Fuck it. Yeah, I mean, those editors, they get paid by, by the cut, right? So let's just have, like... A guy in a room, and like, there's a thing that he hits his his shin on, and I mean, sh- what what worse? Everyone's gonna be thinking, what could go worse than that? I mean, hitting your shin on a thing—that's so tough. Nothing could be worse than that. But then, blammo, blue guy. So so you know they're in this high tech military room they're messing with some intrinsic field stuff guy sees his buddy trapped in the fucking vault closet thing what does he do he grabs the nearby axe that's totally in this room and he starts chopping the fucking power cable i literally thought he was gonna try to chop through the two foot thick leaded glass (laughs) why is the axe there (laughs) in case of fire Uh, in case of guy 
In case a blue guy break glass. The first time it was necessary, it didn't work. Back to the drawing board, boys. Fade in. Interior lab. That moment. The scientists slowly cluster around the observation panel, unable to tear their eyes away. Janie, past hope, wanders up unsteadily behind them. John. John! Interior test chamber. That moment. John's back is arched. His arms go up. His face is a mask of unbelievable agony. A moment later, his skin is gone. A black skeleton, like a photographic negative, stands in his place. Then the skeleton bursts into its constituent atoms. The iridescent blue light has quite literally taken John Osterman to pieces. And then the test chamber is empty. The blue light begins to dim, and we're looking through the window panel at the stagger faces of the scientists. One by one, they back away, leaving only Janie, who gazes into the chamber with a blank, soulless stare. Dissolve 2. Interior, ruined canteen, present day, night. The desert rat chitters on the bar. On the partially collapsed wall behind it hangs a broken clock, which stopped some 20 years ago at 11.48 p.m. For a moment, Dr. Manhattan, even more abstracted than usual, watches the rat. Then he turns and walks through more drifted sand out of the door of the canteen. Exterior, desert, night. Dr. Manhattan walks aimlessly through the rubble of the compound. Interior, men's room, flashback, night. The two scientists washing their hands at the sink. They glance up into the mirror simultaneously and blanch. Behind them, a hideous thing is collecting in midair. A brain, eyes, and a dangling spinal cord. Wriggling new neurons. A gruesome, disembodied central nervous system. They pivot, shrieking, just in time to see the creature evaporate in a haze. <laughs> Got one. Uh, of shimmering blue light. <clears throat> Exterior desert night. Dr. Manhattan keeps on walking. Exterior test base. Flashback night. Horrified sentries fire their rifles, then turn and run. A partially muscled skeleton stands by the perimeter fence and screams for several seconds before vanishing altogether. Yes. I love using Wilhelm anytime I can. Exterior, desert, night. Dr. Manhattan keeps on walking. Interior, Gila Flats Mess Hall. Or is it Gila? Is it Gila like Gila Monster? I don't know. I don't know. They're in the desert. You're making it up right now. I'm going to say Gila Flats because I'm an American. Dinner time. Janie and Wally at a table. Janie. <clears throat> Sorry. I can't help it. I'm going to quit this place. It feels it feels haunted. It'll be all right, Janie. You, you need time. That's all. <clears throat> you do you hear some kind of whistling? Indeed she does. And within moments it builds to a deafening whine. Hey! 
I can't work around all these babies. Tashi Station. Uh, odder yet, Wally's hair is standing on end, and so is Janie's. Everyone in the mess hall seems to be experiencing the same freakish phenomenon. Utensils rise from tables and drift magically into the air. Without warning, the overhead lights blow out, and a brilliant blue glow suffuses the room. All eyes turn toward the source of the glow. The fully formed figure of Dr. Manhattan, floating above them, nude, hands spread like some majestic blue messiah. Metal trays and utensils hover in midair around him, throwing off sparks. Jenny gapes at his face. She recognizes it instantly. Her hands go to her mouth and she lets out a horrible, endless shriek. <laughs> Honestly, it's an endless shriek. You could just keep it running till the end of the episode. <laughs> That's right. You should have done that. Oh, man. I wish I still had the bionic man jump sound effect on my board. Oh, that's a good one. Because I used to, because we read The Six Million Dollar Man by Kevin Smith on this podcast. Damn, go listen to that. After this episode. Yes, it is thoroughly okay. <laughs> Whoa. That was the episode, that was the script I did with my friend who was remote in Maryland, and you just that's why I needed the in studio thing it's not as great that's true and then i got josh and <gasps> josh begat jeff oh man and then i ruined the podcast we're a bunch of be go getters i uh, you begot you begot me god damn it <laughs> <laughs> it's better than crickets right hmm Exterior desert night. The shriek dies as Dr. Manhattan stares up into space. He turns, stares at the ground. Nothing but sand. He stoops nonetheless and begins to dig. Yeah, why not? A couple of inches down, he finds what he's looking for. An ancient, tattered photograph, faded almost beyond recognition. Young John and Janie Slater. I really want it to be Jenny Slater every time I see it. <laughs> no. Which is like Jenny Slate, you see. Ah. She's holding up her hand, showing off her brand new engagement ring. His fist closes around. Wait. Wait. When did this happen? He's with her. She's holding up her hand, showing off her brand new engagement ring. That never happened. He gave her the engagement ring and ran away to fix her watch, and while fixing her watch, turned into a ghost. Maybe yeah, I, uh, I don't know. Left it out. Maybe, maybe that was an engagement photo from a guy she broke up with before she started dating John, and he was still in the picture. <laughs> like it's her ex or her ex fiance's ring. <laughs> Oh, I gotcha. <laughs> so fucking stupid. <laughs> I'm trying to make sense. My brain won't let that crack just stay there. No, it's yeah. Hey, 
this is the first like legitimately this makes no sense moment. I mean, other right. than like the you know makes no sense from like a just a story structure perspective. There's plenty that makes no sense. Maybe he created the picture with his mind and buried it in the sand. Yeah, he and then to went find looking it. for it because that was places at all once. That was that was maybe he sends his other self before and little hide little Easter egg, little fun little bits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it doesn't help. I know what all my others know. Before I get there, hide something from me. Here, what put this fuck? little ring in your forehead so that you'll be disconnected from the consciousness. <laughs> That's an HBO Watchmen reference. Y'all go nice. watch that. I, I love that. Oh, I got a connection lost. Uh, who's lost? I see both of you. I've got a frozen Josh and I've got a non-existent you. Oh. I fell off. Oh, Here Josh is back. Here I am. Guys, we are doing our best. Um, Her brand new engagement ring. His fist closes around the snapshot. His eyes slowly shut. Series of shots. Ooh. That is literally the description of every movie. <laughs> Quick. That's good. Quick, almost subliminal visions of the past and future. John's black skeleton bursts Boom. into Adams in the tech in the test chamber. Janie shrieking in the mess hall, her face Boom. bathed in blue light. Lori at a breakfast table, drinking coffee, reading the paper. There's a sudden flash of light. The windows shatter inward. A terrible blast of heat chars the skin off her bones. A city demolished by a nuclear blast. The inevitable mushroom cloud rising swiftly, blotting out the sky. Exter- Wait, is it saying that Lori died? It's oh, okay. She's I see. going to die in uh, a nuclear explosion. I understand. But he can't change anything in the future, right? He Correct. can only he- experience things as they are and that is how they are because he's experiencing it as it happens not actually seeing in the future he's just experiencing all of time at once so this can't happen this writer has no fundamental understanding of how Dr. Manhattan works which you really need if you're going to adapt Watchmen he wouldn't have been able to see this anyway Uh, Vite was blocking his vision with the tachyons so there was like a blank there's a there's a there's a huge piece of his vision missing, which is what drove him crazy. But what I'm saying is that that nuclear blast never happens. This is true. Lori does not die that way, so he would not see her dying that way. It's a nightmare. A god had a nightmare. Uh A city demolished by a nuclear blast, the inevitable mushroom cloud rising swiftly, blotting out the sky. Exterior, desert, on Dr. Manhattan. Fists still clenched. He stands, grimacing, distraught, alone in the ghostly calm of the desert. He rises into the air, slowly at first, then faster, finally disappearing in a sudden blue starburst a mile above the ground. Exterior, outer space. All at once, we're back in the starry void, hurtling away from Earth at unimagined speeds. 
through empty space, past the moon, on toward Mars. The red planet looms larger and larger, finally dominating the frame as we descend toward the chaotic terrain of the Martian surface. Individual features of the landscape grow gradually more distinct. Vast canyons, oceans of fog, volcanoes the size of Missouri. Herschel's famous Canali, whatever that is. <laughs> Not that famous, I guess. And finally, the Argir Planitia, an enormous shallow crater, its rocky rim encircling two jutting blue mountains and, to the south, a ragged semicircular ridge. Two eyes, a big broad smile. It looks uncannily like a happy face. Many miles below us, a tiny rupture opens in the Martian atmosphere. Blue light spills out an instant before we cut to insert television screen. The late news with highlights of Dr. Manhattan's press conference. As the throng of reporters shove microphones at him, we zoom in on his angered face. I said leave me alone! Then there's a sudden cut. We see the same reporters in the same positions, only Dr. Manhattan is gone, and they're all standing on the White House lawn in the midst of a torrential downpour. Pull back to interior, room, government security complex, night. A restless lorry watching the broadcast from an overstuffed chair. She's in a big open room with bed and kitchenette, except for the big metal door and the bars on the windows. It could pass for a comfy furnished studio. Someone want to be the anchor woman and anchor man? I would love to, but uh, all of my shit fucking crashed, so I don't even know what page we're on. Uh, we are... Page 46 of 113. 46 99. Of 113. Scene 99. Uh, I'm still loading the damn thing. Sorry. I'll be anchor woman. Yeah. In in Washington, where an irate Dr. Manhattan teleported a crew of reporters into the midst of a rainstorm on Pennsylvania Avenue. Well, Katie, I know some politicians who'd like to learn that trick. Lori turns at the sound of keys in the door. A moment later, Schmidt enters, followed by a pair of federal agents. All right, Miss Juice Spexic, pack your things. Am I free to go? You're free to do whatever you goddamn well please. Let's move it. I don't know why you've been keeping me here, but you're in deep shit. Oh, I am, honey. You see, Russian tanks are crossing the Afghan border this very minute. And we are, all of us, every living soul, in deep, deep shit. Because our number one strategic weapon has finally flipped out. John? You mean he's... That's right. Your meal ticket's flown the coop. That blue bastard has apparently left the planet. Cut to exterior newsstand. Day. The same headlines scream from every edition of the rack. Dr. Manhattan leaves Earth. Russian tanks advance. President vows maximum force. Where is Dr. Manhattan? And on the street, tensions are running high. The familiar news vendor is engaged in a heated exchange with one of his customers. I'll tell you what the problem is. We should have been building tanks, bombs, ICBMs. Instead, we're relying on that big blue son of a bitch. 
Anyone ever tell you you're full of shit? Kiss my ass, buddy. Keep your goddamn quarter. New frontiersman, please. The news vendor turns suddenly, finds himself confronted by an old friend. The red-haired street crazy with the end of the world sign. He rolls his eyes. This is all I need. And reaches under the counter. Here you go, pal. Two bucks. Well, I see the world ain't ended yet. The street crazy eyes the lurid cover of of his magazine. Exposed. Red plot to frame Dr. Manhattan. How do you know? Cut to exterior, tenement building, night. A row of decayed walk-ups in a fringe neighborhood downtown. A drunken couple, a gaunt middle-aged man and a blousy overweight woman, totter down the street arm in arm. Neon signs blink on and off as they mount the front steps of a seedy building, exchanging tipsy giggles. Interior, tenement apartment, night. A three-room hellhole, decor by goodwill. A door opens, and the man ushers his date inside with exaggerated formality. Her name is Lucy. His is Edgar William Jacoby, but for reasons soon to be revealed, we'll call him Moloch. Who wants to be Moloch? Moloch, Josh? Oh, I could be Moloch. Or Moloch. It's Moloch, not Moloch. Pardon me. Now, what was Milady drinking? Uh, Jan, straight up? Oh, um... Oh, sorry. With a little twist of lime. Yeah. Mock ladylike. With a little twist of lime. She laughs convulsively as if she's just told the world's funniest joke. <laughs> Moloch lifts a single finger and stares and starts toward the kitchen. I think I can oblige. Interior kitchen. A moment later, night. Moloch freezes in the doorway, his face taut with apprehension. The contents of his refrigerator have been strewn all over the kitchen floor. Overturned milk cartons, broken eggs, the like. It's a disaster area. As he steps inside to investigate, Lucy appears in the doorway behind him and snorts. Jeez, honey, you got some kind of animal in here. On cue, the refrigerator door kicks open and out. He was in the fridge. Human beans. (laughs) And out pops Rorschach. Eat me. (laughs) He grabs... Moloch by the lapels pins him back against the kitchen table. Moloch, did you miss me? Willie, Jesus, what, what's going on? Who's the welfare mother? I don't know who you are, buddy, but I swear to God you've got the wrong guy. Edgar William Jacoby, a.k.a. William Edgar Bright, a.k.a. Moloch. You're making a big... Rorschach lifts Moloch up slightly then slams him down hard against the table, repeatedly, to the beat. Terrorist. Radical agitator. Stool pigeon. All right, all right. How'd you find me? Willie, what's he talking about? Rorschach backs off, allowing Moloch to slump to the floor. Rorschach kneels beside him. Look, I I don't know what you want, but I've been a private citizen for ten years. I... Rorschach cups one gloved hand under Moloch's chin and pulls him close. Then, for Lucy's benefit, he explains. Turn state witness 75. Earn himself a brand new face. 
twisting Malik's head to one side for a better look. <clears throat> but ugly then, but ugly now. He shoves Malik back onto the floor, then stands. There's a sugar bowl on the table. Rorschach spots it and pockets a few cubes as Malik gets up to dust himself off. Comedian dead. Dr. Manhattan in exile. Obvious connection. Who's behind it? Wait, I gotta stop here. Um, It's like right now, right at that line, Sam Ham realized, oh shit, Rorschach talks in like little s- snippets of sentence. He, yeah. Right. Yep. I was, I was wondering that same thing earlier. He never says more than he has to, and he only yeah. speaks in actual subject matter. Yeah. And he's like, oh man, I can just copy this. Yeah, he's like, oh, but like a SOS. Should I go back and fix all the stuff? Nah, we'll just do it from here on out. Maybe just this one line. We'll see how it goes. You mean I get to write a crazy fucking like conspiracy theorist who only speaks in buzzwords? Wow, my fucking job just got way easier. Sorry, go ahead, Rorschach. Josh. Rorschach, you're talking heavy-duty stuff. I got nothing to do with. Work both sides of the fence. Ask your old buddies at the CTU. CTU? Jesus, you don't think... I don't know. Ask around. I'll be back. Lucy, still unsettled, crosses to Moloch's side and grips his arm as Rorschach opens a rear window. He's climbing through the frame when he stops suddenly and points his finger at the frightened pair. Word of advice for the lady. Stock up on penicillin. And he's out on the fire escape and gone. Lucy looks suspiciously at Moloch, who shrugs, embarrassed, as if to say, I don't know what he's talking about. Cut to interior, Pentagon, war room, day. The familiar set from Dr. Strangelove, top brass seated at a big round table with a huge Mercator projection map of the world looming in background. The Afghan-Pakistani border is highlighted in red, a military analyst paces in front of the big board with a penlight pointer, highlighting areas of strategic importance. Our projections show Pakistan falling within a week. From there, it's 60% certain they'll try to take Western Europe. Respectfully, sir, our NATO allies are getting itchy. They're quizzing us about the possibility of a first strike. Move in on a tall chair at the head of the table the back of which bears the seal of the President of the United States. What do you want from me? Give him a, give him a, give him a Nixon. I I don't know how to do Nixon. No, I'll, I'll, actually, Jeff, you need to be Nixon because your Nixon is amazing. Just do Al Pacino. (laughs) Um, That's right. Fuck you. (laughs) But I was really hoping it would be uh, Maximus. Oh, you want me to do Maximus? (gasps) That's more lore. <laughs> I'm, here. Awesome. I'm here for it. Fuck awesome. it. I'm doing it. All right. But but no, no, do Nixon because it's it's Oh Watchmen. boy, it's first strike. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. First strike. I'd like to view the simulation. The analyst hits a button on the remote control device. Optimally. We could expect to wipe out some 80% of their retaliatory capability before they knew what hit them. On the big board, blue arrows emanate from selected points in the Pacific and Arctic Circle and veer toward the Russian turf, blossoming in yellow and black radiation symbols as they strike their targets. What about Oregon? 
well, sir, in a worst case scenario, we'd assume that 25% of the Russian birds get through. On the board, red arrows inch westward from Mother Russia. Britain down, Germany down. What kind of time frame are we talking about? 30 minutes maximum, of course. Uh, I'd assume we'd be in the fortified command bunker at the time of the launch order. Radiation symbols sprout over New York, Baltimore, Washington, Denver, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Of course. By now, both coasts are pretty well blotted out. The analyst, a dedicated optimist, turns to announce... As you can see, uh, we may be able to salvage a good-sized chunk of the farm bill. What about the aftermath? The so-called nuclear winter theory. Uh, We don't really know, sir, but bluntly, our survival capability may depend on a quirk of the weather. The weather, I see. Uh, Keep me posted. I want hourly forecasts and a full report of the optimum strike condition. Does he mean actual weather forecasts? Yeah, what? What? Yeah, what that's I what he's, he I think he's like dependent on a quirk of weather. I think he's talking about like a, a fucking burst of wind for nuclear fallout. It shows that in in the book. It shows that it talks right. about that. Like this is almost like right out of the book. Yeah. Um, he, he chose this. He chose this to write almost word for word. Yeah. Right. Well, hey, that uh. That Rorschach talking weird thing that really worked out in the last scene. Let me try something here. <laughs> it just carries out. Um, the Secretary of State, our old pal G. Gordon Liddy, pipes up. Dick, before we act hastily, we should consider Dr. Manhattan may decide to return. With a heavy heart. The chief executive pushes himself away from the table, and we get our first good look at him. His face is lined and tired. His hair is flecked with white, but he's none other than that beloved statesman, Richard M. Nixon, still vital and robust at 74. Okay, hold on. Just from a filmmaking perspective, how do you have Richard M. Nixon speak 12 lines of dialogue and then make it a big reveal. This guy sounds like Nixon. He turned around. Oh, it's Nixon. <laughs> Surprise. Hoodwink <laughs> ex- you motherfuckers. It was exactly who I thought it was the whole time. <laughs> surprise. <laughs> You're not surprised. <laughs> the only way you reveal Nixon is at the top of the scene. He's in the shadows. He leans forward. Oh shit, it's Nixon. And then he talks. You don't have someone going, oh, what's our projection? And then, oh, oh it's Nixon. <laughs> right? <laughs> anyway, uh, good God. At times like this, I wish I'd never come out of retirement. He, he didn't go into retirement, he just was the president the whole time. Does this yeah, guy not did. know the history of the Watchmen universe? He disestablished the law so he could be elected for four terms. <laughs> he only read half of the script. Maybe instead of reading the comic, he was reading Alan Moore's actual script. Maybe he, and he, and he was just like, I can't even. Oh, my God. And then he just went insane. Maybe he came out of retirement to become the president. If he's 74 
and that's 24 years. He was what? 50. No, like, he was, he went from like his real world track became president in the seventies, uh, 72, I think. And then, uh, went all the way through and he actually was president for 20 years in the comics. Yeah, he won he won Vietnam, so they reelected him president. They gave him like emergency powers and shit. Like it was a whole debacle with it. Oh. And then he's uh he's president all through Watchmen and uh you see that in uh eighty eight uh Redford's running against him. Oh yeah, Different. yeah. At the end. And then uh, obviously Redford doesn't win in eighty eight. But according to the HBO TV show, Redford becomes president in 92 and hangs on to it until now, at least. So that's the way that goes. Anyway, that's a nitpick. Oh, yeah, spoilers. That's a nitpick, <laughs> the coming out of retirement line, but um, still just indicates that he doesn't know what's going on in these comics. Um... Interior, doctor's office, reception room, day. A private practice in midtown Manhattan. Laurie emerges from an examination room, grim and hollow-eyed. The doctor hangs back in the doorway. Somebody want to be doctor? I'm Laurie. Doctor. Uh, yeah. Where am I? You're just saying, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. Mr. Juice. I'm sorry, Miss Juicebixic. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, doctor. I appreciate your honesty. Interior. Gunga Diner. <gasps> Gungan. Misa people gonna eat dinner? <laughs> a greasy Indian restaurant in a village storefront. Now you guys sound racist. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> in a booth near the entrance, we find Lori and Dryberg munching on chicken tandoori. Christ, yes, I went in for a cancer scan first thing. Gave me a couple of rough nights, I can tell you. How about you, Lori? Oh, yeah. Uh, they gave me a clean bill of health and then booted me the hell out. No expense account. No place to live. You'll find something. I should go. You and me, seeing each other. Someone might put two and two together. Lori shakes her head and laughs, mirthlessly. They're not following me, Dan. I mean, John's gone. We're right on the brink of World War III. Nobody cares about the Watchmen. Maybe, but who the fuck are the Watchmen? <laughs> That's... Maybe not, but why take the chance? Dan, what are you so scared of? I mean, me? I've spent all these years keeping John together, and now that it's over, I feel... I feel glad. I'm finally free to, to go out and live my own life, and... And she's dying of cancer. The irony of it hits home, throws a damper on her little <clears throat> burst of optimism. Depressed again, she starts to get up. I'm just running on, Dan. Thank you for dinner. I better go find myself a cheap room. Dreberg watches on, paralyzed by indecision, as Lori heads for the door of the restaurant. Then, submitting to impulse, he gets up and chases her down. Lori, wait! I've got a spare room. It's empty. If you'd like... Oh, Daniel, thanks, but I, I couldn't. You'd just be all nervous about... No, screw that. What you were saying before, it's absolutely right. I'd love to have you stay. You sure? He nods. 
She smiles and takes his arm as they walk out of the restaurant. Through the window of a nearby booth, we watch them passing on the street outside. The occupant of the booth, whose face is out of frame, fidgets restlessly with a menu and a squeeze bottle of ketchup. He inverts the ketchup over the menu, squirts out an upside-down question mark, then closes the menu and mashes it shut. When he opens it again, he's got a makeshift Rorschach blot. Fade out. I had to fade out right there because that was fucking dumb. What is this movie's obsession with fucking ketchup? I don't know. Yeah, ketchup is not as big a deal in the book. Uh, well, because he's like, he's got the, the what uh, John had the fries and he just emptied half a bottle of ketchup and then Dan like just fucking does a random Rorschach ink blot test with the menu and some ketchup. What the fuck is up with this ketchup? No, that's Rorschach doing it. No, that. that's Rorschach doing that. Oh, I thought that was Dan doing that. No, I'm Dan. Sorry. Dan and her got out of the. Yeah, they left. Oh, either way, the the script writer with his infatuation with fucking bottles of ketchup. It is weird. It's true. So, um, how far are we in this damn script? Uh, almost, almost halfway. halfway. Yeah, it's not bad. We went on a little bit of a tangent about Alan Moore's other works. <laughs> we're, we're trying to make it entertaining and just show people, like, hey. You should give literally every other form of the Watchmen but this your time and effort. Yeah, this is true. This isn't like super terrible. It's just no. boring. Like it's not It's not so bad that it's hilarious either, you know. But it's also an adaptation of a seminal piece of comic book literature, one of the greatest graphic novels ever ever written. And it's like he just surgically excised all the magic and is just yeah, plodding yeah. through but, yeah. like the broad brush strokes. Yeah. That's what I felt the movie did. Yeah. I'll, I'll go to I'll go to bat for the movie. I, I really like the movie. I, but but I don't think I'm in love with it for like the whole purpose of the movie. I think I'm only in love with how stylistically it worked for him. I love the time jumping um and honestly, the the easier work is that he took most of it frame for frame from the fucking uh, <laughs> from the book. Yeah, the movie and- did a lot right. I felt that he uh, he really did like bitch out on the ending. I I agree with him on the ending. I don't think we were ready for the giant tentacle monster ending. No, I was ready. I, I was there for it. I wanted sure. it. Now, if you were gonna punk out and not have the giant squid what he did made sense yeah making uh you know for ozymandias to make spoilers for the end of the script but i i don't know why this would be your introduction to Watchmen anyway so i'm just gonna do it uh for ozymandias to make the the big bad that unites the world uh be dr manhattan because Dr. Manhattan's like the one person that could realistically be an obstacle to him. That makes sense to me. Yeah. But I I love the giant squid. The HBO show did a really great job of acknowledging the giant squid and showing us the giant squid and making it fucking awesome. And I just... Uh, God, if... 
if we could have gotten the movie done as well as the TV show, it would be a fucking masterpiece. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree completely. The cool thing about the show is that we sat on this book for fucking 30 years. Like, people have been dissecting what each this every bit of this shit means for the last 30 years, and then they, they come out with a TV show prequel that that is an absolute, like, love letter to everything that that book was, and they took all the the little stuff that was maybes in the comics, and they were just like, nope, committing to it. Yeah, we're committed to it. it. But here's and the thing. Fucking rocks. This script was written before we had all that 30 years of dissecting. They had five yeah. years of dissecting, and they were like, we got this. We got this. Right. Four it was actually the new, the new hotness. At that time, they yeah. should have been, like, even hotter and heavier on the, the trail. Like, what does this mean? What does this frame mean? What is, you know, the, the irony of a, of, you know, a god living on earth and he's the most powerful man here and he he moves himself to a place where he has no power at all like and no one's amazed like that loneliness to to become the best clockmaker on mars yeah i mean it's so it's so soon after the comics he may as well have been writing this nine pages at a time waiting for the next issue to come out right (laughs) so josh um, yes, sir. Does that me at joshuajbaker.com still work if someone emails you there? It does. It okay, does. good. It works. Yeah. It's just an alias now. All right, great. I just want to make sure because it's on the screen. Perfect. I can't see any video right now, but maybe it's, you guys can see me. Uh, uh, I can see you. <laughs> you can reach out to me, Josh, J O S H, at joshuajbaker.com. I'm doing a lot of real estate video right now. Um, because apparently, you know, real estate's still popping and you're not allowed to go inside buildings anymore. So they're just going to send you a video. <laughs> Josh sends in the drone. Yeah, that's essentially <laughs> it. Yeah, send, send Josh in. He's our drone. I am <laughs> drone. Is the drone. I can't get sick. If the world loses another videographer, what's the problem? Oh, no. We got to sell this house. <laughs> And then um, for all your Table Reads needs, everybody, you can find us um, at The Table Reads on Instagram and Twitter, neither of which are updated enough. I'm going to be just real honest with you about that. Um, however, if you go to Linktree slash Table Reads, uh, you will find us everywhere you need to on the internet. You can also just do a search for Table Reads on the platform of your choice. And we'll, you'll find us, guaranteed, 100%, you will find us there. Um, and while you're there, if your platform has, you know, a rating system or a review system, give us five stars and write a nice thing about us. We're sad and we need your validation. Yeah. <laughs> who am I, but, but who I am to you? Tell us we're good. Hey, this is episode 119 of this show we have not charged you a penny to listen to this it is absolutely free in fact i have lowered the number of ads that we play on this show because they were getting annoying so you're welcome now say (laughs) nice things about us so we can feel good about ourselves and let our significant others know that they were wrong this is worthwhile yeah, wow. my fiance's in the other room, so it's even closer to home. She's like, stop, stop yelling. I'm like, fuck you, I'm Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> I'm having fun. That's it for <laughs> us. Fun. We'll be back next week for part 
what do we just do? Part three? We'll be back yeah. next week for part four of Watchmen. Hopefully we can get through this thing in like six or seven episodes. Um, which is fast for Watchmen because it's a big thing. Not when you take out all the artsy shit. True. True. And all the artsy shit is definitely out. But that's it for us. We will see you next week. And until then, we will miss you. Bye. This podcast was created by Sean McBee. For more, visit TableReadsPodcast.com. Cut to black.